This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. guys and gals, welcome to Chapter Tactics, a 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and with me I have Mr. Abuse Puppy. That's me. The Stompa Savant, Val Heffelfinger. Mm, the Stompa Mob Stompa is the best kind of Stompa. And Mr. Nick Notavati. Hello, ladies. Wait a minute. Nick already, <laughs> already showing his true colors. He's, he's here for one thing and one thing only: to inform, right, Nick? To inform. That's <laughs> what I'm here for. So, welcome to Chapter Tactics. Today, we're going to be talking about being tilted and getting tilted, and just all talking. You know, talking about the feels badsies when you play a game of 40k and the dice don't go your way. We're also going to talk about 40k burnout and what to do when you're in a bit of a list building block or list building writer's block uh a little hard to say but i'm sure we've all experienced it we're writing a list and we don't know what's going on uh basically we're going to talk about those things that prevent us from enjoying the game of 40k and kind of those mental blocks and that's kind of where i'm at right now uh, as a, at the beginning of the season i am currently zero and eight and so I thought, mm. instead of talking it over with my Relentless D buddies on the team and wallowing in self-pity and maybe trying to paint a terrible model before destroying it in a fit of depression, <laughs> I decided to talk about it on the podcast with a few of my great friends. Podcast so, is therapy. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we go on to the main topic and some tournament coverage, some quick announcements. First and foremost, check out In the Finest Hour, Episode 17 they yeah. talk about summoning. Josh yeah, Death summoning. in particular absolutely kills it. Uh, this is something that I've been praising him for since summoning was a thing. It's always been kind of his bread and butter, best quality about him as a 40k player in terms of skill. I, in my opinion, he's he's obviously a good player, but I've always felt like that's what he was known for, at least to me. Um, so it's going to be a really great episode, and you're learning if you're curious about summoning you're curious about starting a chaos army you're learning about it from one of the best players and two players that aren't so bad themselves also <laughs> shadow spear rules are coming up soon i know nick already has access to the rules or at least seen the rules i believe nick yep i've um, seen them i'm, I'm um, safe to assume that what about what about abuse puppy and val do you guys i've seen them down most of the stuff i have i don't get any like special access so i've just been looking at the spoilers that other people and putting out okay uh, yeah, i've been for, i've been okay. passively following along uh, mostly wherever the uh the the facebook hotspots go so i only know all the mm. stuff people are upset about 
So chaos everything. <laughs> Nick, what do you think about Shadow Sphere? Do you think it's a kind of a step in an interesting direction? Do you think it's going to impact the meta? Is it something we should keep our eyes on? It's definitely interesting. I don't know that it's enough on its own to really impact the meta. Um, yeah, I think that like the infiltrators will definitely find their way into space marine armies or like marine primary list, but I don't think they'll just find their way into every imperialist there is. Um, I've been pretty underwhelmed with the chaos stuff. I think the greater possessed is not bad, but uh, you have to build around it, which is fine. But the build you end up creating when you do build around it doesn't seem too strong to me. Yeah, it it is kind of a shame too, because because the trend for chaos space marines has been underwhelming. I feel like that's that's pretty yeah. pretty much the trend for them for a while now. Uh, They've been living I, the horde life for a while, and even <laughs> that's not even working anymore. Yeah, yeah, there's other hordes that do it better at this point. Yeah. And Space Marines got some cool stuff that they've never had access to before. Um, I do like the the fact that the infiltrators have. I'm not sure if this has been leaked yet, but uh, I know we can talk about it because it's coming out so soon. Um, all, all of the like, like because yeah, because it's past the embargo. Like, there's YouTube yeah. reviews of them. Like, everything's been talked about. So, so the infiltrator's ability to snipe characters out of line of sight at 36 inch range is really good. That, that's yeah. <laughs> that's insane. I, I I never thought I needed something like that uh, in my space marine list. They are a bit of expensive, but, but you know, a couple hundred or a hundred points for over hundred points for six wounds of characters or units that you get to hide infiltrate somewhere, and then they shoot your opponent's characters out of line of sight. Do they, like do they, are they do they still get the sniper rule even when they're shooting out of line of sight? Yes, yes. Okay. So it's the, their sniper has three modes. You shoot. You can shoot characters. Um, even though, even if they're not the closest, then you've got like the super mode, which is AP2, D3 damage on a six that does a mortal wound. And then you've got the uh, shooting out of line of sight mode, uh, which is you can just shoot them out of line of sight. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's the only thing special mm, about it. I believe um, that one. And it's AP1 one, as well. That one also ignores cover and adds plus oh, two yeah. to hit, doesn't it? Yes, yes, that yeah, is true. Yeah, that one has like a trillion bonuses stacked onto it. So that so special rule is good enough. Last time I was on the show, I don't even think these guys were being talked about, but I did say that um, it might be tough sledding for characters out there very soon. I think that was just when the Vindicare was around, and we were all talking mm-hmm. about you know sniper drones and scout snipers. Yeah, is, is like is, are like characters just dead now? Uh, I don't know, Nick. That's a good question for Nick. Yeah, it's a really interesting spot. Characters are not the the build archetype they used to be, just because between the Sanctus blowing up. Uh, yeah, 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 the Sanctus yeah. is auto-blowing up Psykers. Vindicares, I don't know if you guys have played against them or not, but I mm-hmm. have, and yeah. they're disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as they don't just miss every time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but still, hitting on twos, you know. Sure, you, you can't get any better than that. Yeah. Well, you could. You t- could take Bobby G. Ooh, once. yes. I had a list like that. What? <laughs> um, There's your whole army right there. <laughs> it's, that's all you need. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how you evolve a list, how you evolve your list to deal with this, because it's not like you can just stop taking characters. They are mm. fundamentally how you build armies in 40k. Maybe not character spam, but you, you want psychers to cast powers, you want the auras that characters often provide. They're just a thing that you take, because they're good. Um, yeah. So now that they're just hard-countered by so many things within the meta, this is just something we've never really experienced before in 40k, so predicting what's going to happen is pretty hard. Yeah, and if you listen yeah. to the last episode and the bonus episode that we had, uh, both Jeff and myself hinted to a sniper meta coming up very soon. 
um, with the infiltrators possibly being the spear tip of it. Don't know for sure. However, uh, I think that people might start taking tougher characters. I know Reese already takes the uh, the honor guard, the Primaris uh, honor guard dudes that that block for their characters. I know mm-hmm. he already takes them in his Space Marine Brigade. And then obviously you have like the Ogren Bodyguard, which has been around since the Castellan has been a real thing. Um, so maybe tougher characters are more character protection, which which I kind of like. I like that, you know, characters get shifted in that direction where you either have to take a tougher character or someone to protect them, which is kind of flavorful and from a, a balance perspective, not bad. But on the flip side, Eldar players don't have anything. They have tough characters... Kind well, they, of. They have psychic abilities that don't require line of sight. That's also true. Um, <laughs> so, so you can maybe see this as an answer, Space Marines answer to Eldar and Eldar shenanigans. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. They are still very expensive. Yeah, it's they're not guaranteed to be in every list. But I mean, we've been living in a world where characters were like functionally invulnerable a lot of the time, and yeah. that changing is definitely going to see a, a significant shift in how people build lists. Definitely. Okay, and to uh, commemorate Shadow Spear being released, I'm going to be giving away one Shadow Spear box to a lucky patron for March. Ooh. So. So if you're interested in that, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics, sign up for a patron. You only have to pay $5 a month to be be entered into the chance to win the Shadow Spear box. After that, if you don't like giving us money, you don't have to. No big deal. You have until April 1st to sign up to win that Shadow Spear box. We will announce the winner uh, the first Monday after April or the first Monday in April. All right. Speaking of the patron... I'm going to be having a special live cast with Skari from Scardcast on Wednesday. We're going to be talking about how to build uh, an army or uh, a models, uh, basically how to build up your collection so that you can be competitive on a budget. Uh, it's something that Skari and I, I feel like we're uniquely in a unique position to talk about. Uh, and it's a question I get often. Um, how do we, how do I keep up with the meta? How do I keep up with the meta? Don't spend thousands of dollars. Um, I'm obviously not as good, good as Nick Nanavati. I can't just have people give me armies. Um, so, you know, actually Nick earned the army. I shouldn't say give. Thank you. He absolutely earned his army painter. Go ahead, Sean. I was gonna say, can I make a, uh, an early suggestion for a little preview of that? Sure. You, you buy it from the secondhand store on Frontline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, damn it. He but got now, actually, right? the entire premise of that whole episode. It was just going to be one secondhand shop. Even, even better, even better, an hour buy, long. Buy from the guys that the secondhand shop buys from. Now you can't cut Pablo out of this. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, don't worry. And for those of you who are maybe wondering, ah, eh, I've already got all the models I need, Petey Pop. I possibly couldn't need more. There is going to be a special little discount slash awesome thing that I only have access to for patrons only who listen to that episode. So that might be another reason to check that out especially if you're looking for secondhand items that are that people love and want that you just can't find even on ebay so anyways throwing that out there that's going to be wednesday 6 30 p.m pacific standard time check that out it'll be a live cast and then it'll go up for the patrons for the next two weeks and then i'll probably throw it up for the general public sometime in april maybe early april uh and that's it also final thing another reason to be a patron you get to get your questions answered at the end of the episode. Just go into our Facebook group, ask a question, and then we will answer them at the end of the episode. So if you ever want to know something, maybe Nick Nanavati's favorite flavor of ice cream, 
I actually uh, just had ice cream earlier tonight. What Ooh. flavor was it? And was it your favorite? It, it wasn't. I wouldn't know if it's my favorite. I don't think it's my favorite, but I did like it. It was uh, cookies and cream. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's it's a good choice. Quality flavor. Good old Oreo ice cream. Mm-hmm. Can't go wrong. <laughs> uh, so I just answered someone's patron premature, or not prematurely, um, post question. Anyways, yeah, we're going to go into tournament preview. coverage. Did someone actually ask that, though? Oh, people asked some strange questions. Someone asked um, who who the best, they asked you specifically, Nick, who the best looking Chapter Tactics host slash co-host was. Oof. You don't need to answer that right now. I know that's a tough question to answer. You can wait till the end of the episode, give you about an hour to think about it. I know it's me, but you know you might change your mind. We gotta. We'll see how this episode goes, Pablo. I'm gonna go with 2017 right. and uh, uh, check your Venmo. I think I might have the answer for you. Gotcha, Ooh. gotcha. <laughs> All right, <laughs> tournament coverage. We've got three tournaments we're gonna talk about today. The first and most important one was a little RTT that the old Val <laughs> Heffelfinger performed well at with a uh, with Sir Stompy the Stompa and Peaches. Um. Uh, actually, it was is Gargle Thunk the Lesser Gargant because I came mm. up with a name for it. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it was a. Uh, thank you for giving me a moment. Uh, it was a um, uh, an RTT uh, mono faction Highlander style, so you can only take one of each. Uh, you know, Dacelate except for troops. You can bring as many of those as you want. Uh, Nick, you may want to close your ears because this is a terrible list. I don't want to taint your, oh. your 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 list writing I, ability here. Don't worry, I see all kinds of stuff every day. So, my one of my scratch the surface. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite model in the arc work range is probably the Stampa and the Gargantuan Squigif. Um, Excuse so, me, guys, I might need to leave right now. Stampa, is a liability. Okay, he's a big goofy idiot who sucks at everything. I get it, um, but nonetheless, so but the Vigilist detachment, uh, which for some reason is locked to the super heavy uh, detachments, you got to take three Lords of War. Works their cheapest Lord of War is 400 points, so you add a 950-point good God Almighty Stampa into that. You know, you've got just enough to squeeze, you know, two characters and nine, and uh, 30 Grots into, and then they all fit inside the Stampa and the, the, the Squig, and I brought a Kill Tank was my third thing. Hmm. Um, Stampa Mob actually, I think actually would, if, if you could bring it in an auxiliary, would make the Stampa at least put on the tableable a little bit. You can get a five up involved in combat um, and against shooting. You get um, the ability to deep strike them, which I did every single game and my opponents were super kind. They didn't screen any of their important stuff. <laughs> um, they uh, uh, He also gets plus one to hit and wound in combat or plus one to wound in shooting. And the in combat one is really important because for some reason Stampa has uh, four different um, levels on his degradation table. So once he's down to ten wounds, he's hitting on sixes in combat. He's like Ooh. can't even stomp. He can't lift his feet anymore to stomp. He's so beat up. So that really helps mitigate the stompa. And he was a cold-blooded killer in the uh, in the first turn in the first game. Uh, there was one guy didn't post his list. He shows up. He has four knights. So my first matchup <laughs> was glory, like all glory. He had um, as my buddy Hamza. Um, and he had uh, a Castellan, a Valiant, sure, why not, uh, which he conveniently set up on the completely opposite side of the table, uh, well out of range of its, like, six-inch guns. Um, <laughs> he had uh, a Crusader and a Gallant, and uh, he moved everybody out to come fight my Squig and my Kill Tank, because obviously Stampa was sitting in outer space ready to cannonball on that entire table, which he did, came down. I did my 3D6 charge, killed the Castellan. Next turn, he spins around 
blows away the Crusader, which was the Warlord, and they charged in and cleaned up the Gallant. It was just hilarity. <laughs> Jeez. Absolutely awesome. My second game, um, I was playing a guy named Sebastian, who's on my team. Um, who play, He plays Necrons about as hard as you can. Um, he's uh, actually done pretty well with some Necron lists that he's had in a Necron kind of way. Um, so I was immediately a little bit pissed because he was one of the better players there. And uh, But he also did not uh, screen his, uh, his Canoptic Heavy Construct, which was beautiful and <laughs> moving along in its own Necron stompy way. So I deep struck the Stompa, charged at 3d6, iced mm-hmm. it immediately. I mean, it was just so much fun. And then, uh, unfortunately, my game plan was roll a lot of five-up saves um, and hope the Stompa lives long enough to kill everything else, um, which didn't pan out. So I lost my second game. And then third game, I also played Necrons. Um, unfortunately, a Necron list that couldn't apparently deal with 99 toughness eight wounds. So I beat him really badly and uh, wound up in sixth place Mm. and had an absolute blast. Mm. I got to say, T-Whip first, put on the table-able rating second, advanced stat, (laughs) Val. (laughs) What? Put on the table-able. The Stompa? No, no. He's asking, he's talking about the Peter's numbers when he crunches them. Yeah, the put on the table-able. Put on the table-able. That was just that I heard that term. And we have to make it an advanced stat, right up there with <laughs> yeah. you. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's either one Absolutely. or zero. Put on the tableable. Uh, yes. Put on the tableable. What, what's the put on the tableable rating of a stampa after your performance? Oh, maybe it went from zero to one percent. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> uh, that's, that's. I mean, that's good. probably that's the amount increase. of like I've now gone from the zero percent of lists appearing, stampas appearing in tournament lists to well, actually none because it wasn't a GT. So yeah, <laughs> it's probably still a zero zero percent put on the tableable. Okay, well we'll have to check out that rating in a month after Val stomps some stompas with his stompa. P.S. Games Workshop. Apparently, sometimes you listen. I have a hashtag. Pray for stompa. We're still praying out here. You know, like maybe just cut us some points. Maybe let us take them. You know, something. You know, do something, man. He's so beautiful, and he just, I, just sits in his box. I'm sure all the, all the Grey Knights players really feel for the Orc Codex and how bad it is. Sean, this isn't <laughs> this isn't a game of whataboutism. Okay, this isn't this isn't you know we're we're not trying to you know compete with how mm-hmm. poor off certain things are. But a 950 point Stompa is just <laughs> you know it's it's unjust. It's unjust, and I'm here to say that. I think it's fair and balanced. <laughs> <laughs> If I was going to play orcs at a major tournament like LVO, I would run three. Mm. You heard Absolutely. it here first. You could probably get like one or two turns before someone called you out on it. Well, I mean, oh, that guy it. with the land raider got called out before LVO started. That's so, true. Um, he, he got he got immediately, immediately targeted out. If yeah. I didn't have the profile that I have, if I was just some random dude, I really think I could make it to round two. My, I think I could have maybe made it to round three before mm. either of my opponents called me out. Uh, you know, LVO? Just, I don't let's, know. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it, Nick. Rick Rodabody going to <laughs> LVO <Rodabody>. 2020. <laughs> you know, Rick Red on Facebook, if, if you haven't heard of Rick Rodabody. We're going to make mm-hmm. this happen with three stompas. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on to the second tournament, the Australian New Zealand Masters. So this was a Masters tournament put on, but I actually don't know who put it on, but I do know who covered it. The Down Under Network guys, Mr. Adam and Diffie, doing their doing the Australian work, doing the Irwin work, I should say. Shout out to Steve, Crocodile Hunter, he's the man. 
32 players, 16 invited, 16 showing up in the Open. Losers in the Invite Tournament get relegated to the Open Tournament. No ties were allowed, winner take all, and Mr. Simon Goshkovic won with an interesting Dark Eldar Venom spam, li- spam list. Um, no Eldar, no Craftworld Eldar, Harlequins, small little detachment. Uh, and actually, um, Patron Ken posed a really interesting question that I want to uh, basically push to Nick, which is, how would you handle this list, Nick, if you were in an ITC tournament and you were to set up alongside it and look at this list um, with your, we'll say your Elvia Orc list, because that, that is the, the list that people probably recognize the most right now. Aside from um, just Venom Spam, what what was the full list? So so the full list was a Cabal of the Blackheart Battalion, two Archons, three Cabalite Warriors, two Lamians, three Ravagers, ten Venoms with Splinter Cannons, and a Twin Splinter Rifle. Two Succubuses, two Succubi, six units of Witches, and a Cult of the Cursed Blade Battalion with another Venom. And then finally, a mixed Harlequins attachment with a Troopmaster, two Death Jesters, and a Solitaire. And that's the list. All right. So I'll just give a quick recap on what my LVO work list was for those of you who don't know. Um, it was two Evil Sons battalions. Uh, with a total of a war boss and mega armor with a power claw, a four damage killy claw thing, um, and three weird boys. Then there were three units of 28 regular orcs, three units of 10 regular orcs, just boys. Um, and then there was a bad moons battalion. I'm sorry, there were three mega nubs in there also, one unit of three mega nubs. And then there was a bad moons battalion with a war boss on a bike with a power claw in the a custom shooter, which sometimes I made a fancy flamer with as a relic <laughs> I bought. Uh, there was a big mech with a grot friend and a custom force field. Like two, three, it was like 75 grots or something in total. It was like two units of 27 and one unit of 20, maybe or units of 28. That doesn't matter. Um, and then one unit of 15 ludas and one unit of seven ludas. So let's just assume we're playing an ITC mission. So the advantage I look at this, my list versus his, fundamentally, is that he has 11 Venoms, troops in, like, all of them, three Ravagers, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, right off the bat, when you look at my list, when you look at his list, if I can, I can pretty easily get Killmore every single turn. He's got, like, 15 tanks, um... Now, I don't think Venoms give up Big Game Hunter, so unfortunately I don't actually get to pick that one against him. But I can still get Butcher's Bill fairly easily and kill more as my game plan. So fundamentally, right off the bat when I go to approach his list, I know if I hold something and he holds something, that's a wash. And then if I kill something and he kills something, that's a wash. But it's very likely that I'll get kill more. And with the body advantage I have going into it, 200 models that are close combat oriented as opposed to... 15 models, 15 vehicles, and the guys inside that are mostly shooting-oriented, he's going to want to sit far away from me, meaning I'll have board control, so I'll get hold more. So if I can make a 4-2 swing on primary every single turn, picking up Butchersville points and potentially recons as well, it's very easy for me to translate that to a win. Then I look at it from, like, what is he going to do to try to win the game? How is he going to throw a wrench into this wonderful plan of mine? Well, he's obviously got Vect because he's got Blackheart stuff. He's got three billion shots from the Venoms. And he's got Ravagers for some decent range. So he can Vect my Grot Shield on my Ludas, which are my primary means of killing his otherwise really flimsy Dark Eldar tanks. 
and he's going to try to make some play there and probably just otherwise shoot the crap out of me. So instead of doing the classic mob-up stuff with the Ludas, Mordaka, double shoot, and just go to town, I'll probably split my Luda squads up, maybe potentially deep-striking one if I can't really hide that well. Um, and the goal is this way I make him have to deal with multi having to deal with two Luda squads instead of one. That means if he wants to vec Rot Shields, he has to do it twice. If he wants to vec Mordaka, he's got to do it twice. If he wants to vec Shoot again, he's got to do it twice. Otherwise, I actually do get to use my strats. And it's not actually costing me double, because if he is vecting me, then I get refunded, supposedly, unless he rolls a six. Let's hope he doesn't roll six. But that's basically my plan, is to stick to my game plan, try to annoy his game plan for dealing with the Ludas, and just... I'm already walking into the mission with an advantage, so let me just ride that to victory. What's the mm -hmm. range of Ludas? 48. So they do outrange the Ravagers and can probably get into a position to shoot at Venoms out of range of Ravagers? Kind of, sort of. They don't outrange the Ravagers move plus shoot. They just outrange the Ravagers shoot. Uh -huh. So, I mean, yes, like from a, if you think about it on an actual physical table and not as a math equation, the Ravager does outshoot the Ludas range-wise, or at least can shoot them back if the Ludas are shooting them. But if I can make the Ravagers have to move 14 inches straight towards my Ludas, that might put them, I don't know, right in front of the 90 boys I have. So that might actually just get the Ravagers killed anyway, which would accomplish what I want in a different capacity. So it's more like positional trading. Hmm. <clears throat> Out of curiosity, would you be more worried about the Ravagers than the Venoms? Would they be your first target? I would probably shoot... Hmm, that's a good question. I would probably shoot Ravagers first. Okay. Um, if given the option, but they're both... I would also rather kill two Venoms than I would one Ravager, if that makes sense. Like, if it's a one-for-one yeah. one trade, definitely the Ravager. But if it's two-for-one, I'd rather get two Venoms. That's kind of my thought, because a Ravager is, in a lot of ways, twice as tough as a Venom. Exactly. Um, I mean, so, to me, that it is literally twice as tough for it works. It's yeah, well, the only difference is the minus one to hit on the Venom. Well, more DACA doesn't care, is my point. Sure. Yeah. I just want to point out something that maybe went over the heads of, of, of the panel, but Nick Nanavati just suggested not mobbing up Ludus, and mm -hmm. my mind was completely <laughs> blown. Uh, <laughs> it's actually it's something awesome. I do a lot against armies that make me play in an unorthodox way, typically armies that have Vect. I did it against Alex Harrison in my round five LVO, which is the round I lost, but I definitely didn't lose because I chose not to mob up. That was the only thing keeping me in the game was that decision. Um, I did it in a recent stream game I played on Knights of the Game Table against Gene Steeler Cult. They mm. also had Vect, and his version had 18 mortars. So if I just mobbed up the Ludas, then he goes to Vect the Grot Shields, bombards me with 18 mortars, all of a sudden I don't have Ludas. So sometimes it's better to play a different game than the one the internet tells you to. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of nights at the game table, if you feel like your IQ just went up 10 points listening to that, Nick, where do they get more of that beautiful, beautiful, sexy voice? You could hear my voice all day long on Nights at the Game Table Pro. I teach five weekly classes and do a live stream battle report every single week. There is literally over 300 hours of content that you get access to if you join up for Nights at the Game Table Pro. There's two options. One's 37 a month. That gets you access to all those videos. And one is 97 a month. Gets you access to all those videos. Plus coaching with me where you get weekly phone calls of just me and you on a lovely voice chat just like this one. And I will help you with all of your own personal 40k needs. <clears throat> perfect beautiful oh i think i think we're good with that one i think it, I, I was like i had i had an idea that simon would probably lose to nick's list orc list specifically although it does kind of you know depend on who goes first like if he goes first turn one 
and deploys really aggressively against you, Nick. I think that's I think that's a I, and I might be completely one hundred percent wrong, but I feel like that's more of an uphill battle. Um, yeah. So I mean, if he deploys like he's going first and he knows he's going first, and then he goes first, that's always going to be tough. But generally speaking, both players are in it to not lose the game. So mm-hmm. both players are going to deploy conservatively unless he feels like he's just got absolutely no shot unless he plays for the Hail Marys. And there are players who realize they're in that position and will play to their outs and more power to them. It's just not as likely to work. The mission and deployment also affect it a lot. Like we kind of sidestepped that, but I, I'm sure as Nick understands, like that's a really big part of how you're going to play the game. Of course. Yeah. To be honest, against that list, I would, depending on how aggressively he deployed, if he deployed conservatively, I would choose second. And if he deployed like on the line, ready to table me, I would choose first, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Beautiful. All right. Finally, the last tournament was the Battlefield Birmingham. We don't we don't know much about this event. We know it was a major uh, in Europe. Um, <clears throat> in the United Kingdom, far, Birmingham. In, in Birmingham. UK, Birmingham, obviously. Dead center in the middle of the UK. <laughs> uh but other than that, we don't know much else. Uh, the, I know they didn't use the ITC missions, and Peter the Falcon did manage to fly over there and snag me the winning list, uh, which was three Night Crusaders, Gilliman, and a Min Admech Battalion. And that was the list that won. Um, so, uh, you know, we don't know what's going on, but the European meta is, is very strange. Two weeks ago, a uh, player with a bunch of Chimeras won. Actually, the two players who won and defeated won with a bunch of Chimeras uh, and this, you know, this week it's three Night Crusaders, Skillman, and an Advic Battalion. Um, I don't know. Uh, I know. I know. Val jokingly talked about uh, the lack of terrain maybe being a thing. Obviously, we don't know. Uh, if the TOs want to reach out to me, frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail dot com. Uh, I'd love to give the the tournament a proper tournament coverage because it was a major. Uh, we just don't know much about it right now. But what do you guys think about three Crusaders and Gilliman? It's a list that really hopes you don't have anything coming out of reserve to give it a bad time. <laughs> it's also because, a- like it's it's got like no screening. Like it's got what the fifteen admech guys, and that's basically it. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised it did well in a world where Gene Stealer Cult exists. Um, yeah, he may have just dodged them by virtue of not many people having a Gene Stealer Cult army yet. I think that sounds right. But I do think that the format of ETC, I'm assuming they were ETC missions here, um, or at least more similar to ETC missions, versus ITC missions really do cause a huge disparity in what you see as successful. In ITC, I was talking about this actually in some of my classes on Knights Pro today, mm-hmm. but um, in ITC, you can get by against Knight Army by playing very cagey, defensive, hiding by terrain, coming out, popping your head out, and smoking like 10 guardsmen that are standing out of their loyal 32. And just now, you, if you're hiding successfully, you're, you're holding one, killing something, killing more, versus the knight opponent is probably just holding something. So now you're creating a points disparity there. In ETC, that doesn't accomplish you anything. Um, in... In, I, in ETC, that knight army is probably standing on the lion's share of objectives, or is in striking distance of them, That and you're playing out of the corner trying to rob them points. So that means when he draws his Maelstrom cards, which is just not a concept, concept we use in ITC, he's going to be like, hold objective five, hold two more objectives than your opponent, stand in this spot. And the knight player is going to be like, all right, I'm going to go do that. Whereas in ITC, that's just not things you have to do. Okay. Yeah. I really need to go out to the ETC. Actually, I just need to start playing more ETC missions um, because 
I obviously I, I don't have so I don't have as much experience with Nick um, in terms of the ATC missions versus the ITC missions. Um, ITC is pretty much my primary, um, which is why when we talk about it, I like to defer to people who know a little bit more about it. Um, yeah. and I like, <clears throat> but I, I would like to play like one ETC major just to kind of get a feel for the meta because I've always, you know, year after year, have seen weird lists come out of the ETC. I shouldn't say weird, just different lists than what you'd see in the ITC. And I, when I see those players come over, they'll bring the ETC lists. Like for example, Alex Harrison and his forty-five Warp Spiders at the LVO three years ago uh, did really well, clearly, but they still do well, right? And I would imagine that if if uh, you got some of the Australian players then brought their Horde meta to the LVO this year, they probably would have done really well too. So part of me just thinks that it's all this one big conspiracy and actually everyone's just running the best list they can that they're comfortable with and it really doesn't matter what missions you're running. I think um, one of the things that's big about etc2 is that it's got a you know it's, it's got a point differential and tabling matters mm-hmm. i think it still does i haven't mm-hmm. seen the new new pack but no, i'm su- pretty sure it's something that's probably just going to stay there forever yeah so <laughs> yeah. so one thing that this list would immediately have a super advantage on um is their kill point def- uh, their kill point differential mechanic so essentially it's um, you know, you take the total amount of units that each each side is killed, and then you basically um, you sum them, and you know the difference is extra points, and it's up to six extra points. Um, so a list with what six units, sorry, eight units, um, is obviously going to have a tremendous advantage of that. I learned that really hard learning Tau. Like I spotted six points mm. um, with with my like way too many fire warriors uh, every single game. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, like certain lists, it's going to be able to stand there, outshoot them, and you know blow them away. Um, and tabling is always a way to win in, in in the ETC. So, yeah, there's also in ITC, there's no value to end game objectives, save for ground control. But in ETC, if you're standing on objective at the end as part of your eternal wars portion of the missions, it could be worth like three points each. So if you're got mm-hmm. if you're getting your butt pummeled by the night army but you're hanging on by point sniping and playing real cagey and clever in itc that almost gets you tabled but you still kind of win the game or at least you're competitive on the scoreboard and within the game that's not even a thing in etc if you're getting pummeled you're just getting pummeled Hmm. yeah it's really all about how the game ends not what goes on during the middle nearly so much interesting i you know we really need we've got judges we've got analysts we've got teachers we really need like pro mission designers now. I think that's the next big step, and you know, people to really sit down and ap- hyper analyze what the absolute best mission is, and that might just be something GW has to do. Who knows? You know, part of it is also what you want out of the missions. Um, it like what you think the game should be about is going to inform your mission design. Yeah, yeah, and and my thought process there was basically, you know. It, there can't it can't be all bad, right? There's got to be there's got to be a reason for why you'd want that kind of style of mission, um, where the end matters more. Um, obviously, I don't know enough about you know the way the ETC tournament is played to really you know make a guess there or, or at all. Um, you know, it's just an interesting subject to maybe delve into one day, um, <clears throat> but not today, because today we're going to be talking about getting tilted and bad dice and getting over that. And then that leading to hobby burnout and 40k burnout. Uh, and then when you finally, finally decide to get back into it, uh, you pull a PD pop and write a billion lists without finishing any of them and then going zero and eight. 
in your last eight games um, and then having the cycle repeat. So well, we're going to talk about tilting first. Now, what what is tilting? Uh, how do we stop it and why it's kind of important to avoid tilting um, <clears throat> in from both from a game perspective and and just kind of from like enjo- an enjoyment perspective. Uh, so for, first of all, for those of maybe you don't know or unfamiliar with the term, uh, to tilt or tilting is when you you play a game um, and you let your emotions get the better of you in a negative way. Uh, maybe you rolled eight ones in a row uh, and your beautiful knight castle that you just finished painting just gets obliterated by a swarm lord or something, right? Just, you know, random example out of thin air. <laughs> uh, or, uh, you know, your opponent says something or does something or interacts with you in a way that you interpret it incorrectly and you start to, you know, get angry and upset. So that's what tilting is. And so this idea of tilting has been around for as long as I've been playing, you know, any game, right back to when I little, little PD pop was playing SNES games with his cousins and split screen. And they would, you know, look at my screen and, and kill me and I'd be super upset. Oh yeah. Screen Screen watchers. (laughs) John Madden, man, Madden, Madden football was the tiltiest game. I broke like 15 controllers. I don't even think that's that's an exaggeration. Yeah. And, and obviously uh, as we get older and as we play more games, um, I think I'd li- I like to think that we become more immune to tilting, uh, depending on the game. Uh, but as I have learned from my experience, the more passionate you are about a game, the more likely tilt is to affect you uh, negatively, and especially your enjoyment of the game. And actually, kind of even the more likely you are to tilt, right? I, I don't remember ever tilting playing. Actually, I do remember tilting playing like Super Mario Kart. Um, but I'm just a competitive guy. <laughs> I, th- I think I think there's a version of tilt too that I like that speaks the most to me, which is uh, actually just coming up to the table and seeing a list that's super hard. So like, or seeing an opponent that's really good. Um, that's actually, and I think that's really why I screwed the pooch so badly at ETC is everyone's really really good. And everyone's got a really really good list. So immediately you're probably overthinking the scenario in a not cool calm collected way. So for me, tilt tilt starts before the game when I when I get tilted. I think it definitely can, yeah. But uh, to Pablo's point, like I think one thing to remember about it is that you don't get tilted about games you don't care about, and like oh, yeah. caring about a game is a good thing. Um, but you do need to dial your emotional investment back at a certain point. Um, if you're passionate about a game, that gives you a lot of focus and a lot of energy when getting into it, but it can also become a negative. Yeah, and so tilt is obviously, it, it's important, right? Um, not only for your own mental health and for your own enjoyment of the game, uh, but also for being a good ambassador to 40k in general, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of the time we talk about uh, the TFG or you know, that guy, that guy that tilts you. Uh, and I think it's safe to say that most communities have someone who who maybe has developed that reputation or they are, in fact, that guy that we all speak of, that, you know, jerk, tilter person who, who you really don't want to play against. And it, it's important to, it's specifically, especially when you're playing those guys, to not tilt, I, I feel. Uh, <clears throat> mm. Because if someone's watching you play a game of 40K, um, either they're they're looking to get into the game or they're looking to play at that event or, or a local store um, <clears throat> or they're maybe just watching for their own enjoyment because I know a lot of people do that too. They'll, they'll sit down and watch a, an hour or two of gaming um, and they, they play 40K, right? The people do that all the time down here in San Diego. 
if you tilt, uh, you'll affect the atmosphere negatively. You'll affect yourself. You'll affect your opponent, uh, and that might, you know, that might affect your future games, right? So a perfect example is someone on our team who has developed a reputation for when they play another specific person here in San Diego, it's always a terrible time. Just because someone got tilted a long time ago in a game like in 6th edition, and now every time they play it, they play it's like nearly fisticuffs. It's always really, really upsetting. The judges always have to you know watch them. Um, it, it gets really bad, right? And I feel like if you have... If if you can kind of avoid tilting, because I know one of these players, if they if they didn't let their emotions get the better of them and they weren't tilted, none of this would have happened, and you know it, they wouldn't have become like a, a thing, right? They wouldn't have been known as that matchup. Uh, another example is um, actually, you know what? We're just gonna skip that example. I don't, don't want to name names. The point is, <laughs> is tilting is bad. How do we stop it? So w- tilting is a thing. Uh, one person I really love watching. I've never seen... Actually, that's not true. I've seen him get tilted once. Um, I felt like he had every right to, but he even handled it really well. That's Mr. Nick Nadavati. How do you handle tilting, Nick? Oh, well, thanks, Pablo. I actually thought didn't think you were going to mention my name there. Um, <laughs> um, personally, I just, like... I think it's more like my personality, more so than, like, a specific thing I do. Um, I am very... Not confrontational. I don't seek out confrontation. At the same time, I'm not a pushover. I don't just let people cheat me. So there's a fine balance to that. Um, Also, I'm a big fan of finding easy solutions and just making things flow as opposed to doing everything, you know, correctly for the sake of doing it correctly as opposed to just making, getting through this together. I care more about the experience that my opponent and I are having and all like getting making sure the social interaction we're embarking upon for the first the three-hour journey of a tournament is one that we both enjoy and have a good time in i care about that probably above all else when i play and to that end i try to make sure that i'm giving the best for my opponent to have a good time and he's doing the best for me to have a good time so i don't really maybe like once or twice in my life i think twice that i can think of in my life i've been rubbed the wrong way by an opponent and just not getting along and we just got to get through this um, typically, I always, me and my opponent are having fun while playing the game, which I try to hold myself to as a standard. Uh, are we talking, are we are we defining tilt as like just like being pissed off and surly? Like is no, so tilt for me, is, tilt is just off. Like just just like not not on my game because I'm you know thinking about something I shouldn't be, or so, you know yeah. not seeing the game in front of my eyes like I should because I'm just caught up in a bad emotional state. Right, so I, I think I think, and, and obviously there's different kinds of tilt, um, but I think the general term, the way I was kind of defining it was tilt is letting your emotions affect your ability to play the game and to enjoy the game. So it, yeah. it can be it can it can be any kind of emotions, can be over emotional, you know, a- anything like that. But but I, and okay, I think so that kind of I think that kind let of let me your I guess stuff. fully answer your question then because that that takes care of my perspective on tilt from like a getting along with your opponent kind of thing. What do you do if you don't like the guy you're playing or whatever, or just you don't know him? How do you friendly with them? But you know, rolling Borley is also totally a thing that happens. Um, it's a common thing amongst all top players in this game to never blame dice. Like yep. maybe right after a loss, you'll see someone complaining about their dice. Uh, even at the top level. But no one actually believes that um, at the top level. It's more so 
like after I lose a game personally, I will sit there for like two weeks and just be thinking about the game. Not like nonstop like a lunatic, but like <laughs> I'll be that game will be in my mind for a while. Um, what could I have done differently? Where could I have prepped differently? What went wrong in my list? What? How did I end up losing this game? What happened? Um, and that's uh, a byproduct of trying to always improve, always get better, and also like you're never going to get better by blaming your dice. You're never going to win the game by sulking about it. There's no prize for the guy who rolled 26 ones in a row and lost. There's a prize. There's a lot of accolades, too, for the guy who rolled 26 ones in a row and still won. So in a way, I use it as motivation as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because, like like Nick says, like no matter how bad your dice were, you still got to keep playing. And that can be really hard to do sometimes, but you're only going to get better if you try that. Uh, yeah, one and, of my favorite, yeah. one of my favorite things, Nick, that you've you've talked about, certainly at, like right out of the gate when you first started, uh, really publicly talking about your approach to 40k was, was 40k sort of as risk mitigation, yeah, and and how you you know basically trying not to put yourself in a position where any dice roll is what the game comes down to, and mm-hmm. right. I think the less you do that, so obviously some games do come down to dice rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, but the less you do that, the more you know you're in you're in sort of more in control of your destiny, and also the less that each one of those. Ro- so when you go and tell because of a bad dice roll, it's because you put everything you've got into that one dice roll. Right. And if that doesn't go yeah. the right way, that's an that's a, like a shot to the gut, right? And I can see like absolutely, and that's that's why you'll personally see me playing and gravitating towards armies that are have built-in redundancies where I don't need to rely on any one thing going right. For me, even running a single Castellan, or when I was playing Magnus in my Chaos list, I wasn't happy with that choice because it's like, yeah, all the stats and all the math can say whatever it wants. When I get shot by three last cannons and I fail three three up in vulnerables and the guy rolls 15 damage, that sucks. And that's just something yep. I have literally no control over. Yeah. Rerolls can be a way to kind of play into that. Like you, you see, you do see a lot of the best armies in the game having some sort of reroll or. Other and in a way, mitigation. it's kind of like confidence intervals. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. am I okay with a seven-inch charge? Not really. Am I okay with yeah. a seven-inch charge with a command point? More so, but still not really. Mm-hmm. Am I okay with a four-inch charge? I'm all right with that. You know, like yeah. what are the percentages here? Like, what is your percentage of I'll accept this as a thing? Because yeah. You, Oh, sorry, I was going to say, you, you do have to accept some risk, but Absolutely. how much you accept and what you're willing to gamble on is going to be a big part of the choices you make. Right. Yeah, and it's like, it's not just what is the percentage chance of this working. Like, what is the fate of, what are the consequences of yeah. what happens if this does not work? If it's something unlikely to happen, but the consequences are very minimal, I'll probably still go for it. If it's something super consequential, like I lose the game if I don't roll a smite, like if I don't roll a five on two dice, I lose this game. I am going to not seek out that position. I never mm-hmm. seek out a position where even if I make the, the five-inch charge, I win. If I fail it, I lose. I, I seek out a I bypass that if I can and go for a series of events that's much more likely, but much more elongated to win the game as opposed to hinging it all on the statistically lately outcome now you know it's a bit of patience in there yeah Yeah. and let's let's be honest um to kind of move away from this dice rolling and and the the draw the dice is probably the most tilting thing about this game at at least to me and i may be Mm -hmm. completely 100 percent wrong um but every time i've been tilted it's literally been 
about the dice. And if you're one of those people who maybe gets easily tilted and you know that, um, I would definitely listen to that entire Nick Notavati 30-second speech again about <laughs> dice mitigation and, and risk management. Um, In fact, you can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Knights Pro, Knights at the Game Table. I'm, I'm sure yeah. he, I'm 100% sure he's got articles on that. Tons. Um, yeah. But I, I meant just hitting the rewind button on this podcast. Yeah, but also yeah. Knights Pro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, another thing is the armies you choose. Um, some armies are more prone to luck than others. And mm-hmm. that's just sort of the, the nature of them. Like Nick mentioned, the, the Magnus, the Castellan, stuff like that. Um, but also armies that rely a lot on psychic powers can be very luck dependent. Um, and if you don't like that, if that really puts you off from the game, don't play those armies. Play something Definitely. else instead. Yeah. So if uh, you guys remember my LVO list that won 2017, or was that 20, 2018, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, if you recall, I had that Bealtan, Spiritseer, and an otherwise all Iliotak Elder Army. So that guy couldn't go into a serpent, had to hide with his, you know, just on his own, lonesome. Didn't synergize with anything else in my army, and that was just so I could buy the Spirit Stones relic for him. So it even cost me a command point, too. Um, and that's only because I like relying on psychic powers is just more points of failure. So I value to reroll on a psychic power that highly. Yeah. And it's why I've kind of given up on Yanari for the time being, because my LVO performance with them was basically a series of failing psychic powers, which really put me off things. So I, I want to rewind here now. Uh, and I want to put Val on the spotlight because his, oh. his Tim tilting was kind of interesting to me because I don't actually tilt before the game. I'm actually, before every game, I go into the game very, very confident. Mm. Um, but Val, you tilt when you when you play against the, or you start to go on tilt. I shouldn't say you tilt. Um, how how have you, you know, grown from that? How do you respond to that? You know, um, have you even, you know? Well, I think, I think f- even in the dice example, it's when reality does not meet expectations is, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, actually just use an example of a friend of mine, um, in, in the fall, uh, he just went through a series of games, maybe similar to what you are and just got his butt handed to him and he was miserable and he actually quit 40 K for like a solid three weeks (laughs) Hmm. and, uh, you know, left all the group chats, all that kind of stuff. But when he came back, he just sort of realized that, you know, a, he was playing snowflake lists, you know, lists that he thought were good and he was going to prove the world wrong. You know, B, he was coming into games thinking he was going to beat a top player and, like, really inflating his expectations. And then he was probably a little too invested in that outcome, right? So as he's come back and he had a really great time at LVO and a very respectable record, I think he went 4-2 there. Like, he has really changed the way he looked at it. Like, so he builds, you know, a better list that, um, you know, maybe takes a little bit more advice from outside, and then he kind of has learned the limitations of that list. So that way he, you know, and himself as a player and realizing that he's, he's not a guy who's necessarily going to win the LVO and he's just going to go out and try and win games and, and have a decent time. And he's like a totally different guy playing 40K after his, his self-imposed timeout. Um, for me, like, I think a lot of the reason why is, you know, I get to be on all these podcasts and talk all that and uh, like a lot of people I think I just don't play as much as 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 the best players in this game. You gotta have respect for for guys who play the game a ton. They're gonna be just better at you than at this than you are. They're gonna have better ability to move around the table. They're gonna not make simple little mistakes because they've learned those lessons in practice and in competition. Um, so for me, I get more comfortable even in tough matchups and hard 
and uh, sorry, even in tough matchups, uh, is when when I've actually repped and, and played games. So like I've, I'm always playing better at the end of the the tournament than I am at the first, regardless of you know where I win and lose, uh, just because I get those reps. And you know, oftentimes my my practice is also my tournament, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's just a reality of of the amount of time I get to play and how convenient it is to play for me. Um, so for me, it's setting those expectations. So I'm usually vulnerable to the tilt game when I've, you know, gotten, you know, three wins in a row and I'm playing a real player and I'm overthinking about everything that's coming in or I've lost my passport and my shoe. I've missed these ETC singles and I've uh, arrived uh, 12 hours before the biggest tournament in the world happens. Um, and I'm all fucked up in my head. So, you know, (laughs) that's kind of like how I go on tilt before the game. Um, and I hope something intelligent spilled out of my mouth while I was talking. I think that's a really interesting point you brought up, Val. Um, as far as like when you're three and zero, you're not you know four and zero. You haven't really gotten that to that spot too many times for a lot of you listeners out there. Um, but you're, you find yourself in that position, and you're playing against some name you recognize, whether it be me, whether it's uh, Sean Naden, Brandon Grant, whoever. You need to go in there not with oh my god, I'm playing this this forty k guru um i'm gonna get my butt whooped i hope i don't embarrass myself you need to not don't walk into it with that mentality you need to still somehow like you got there that means you have a real shot at winning like really believe in yourself and adamantly believe that you can win this game and that really like truly believe it and that'll take a lot of the pressure off yourself to do well because then it's just you in your own head playing your own game or do you know and and i know that's counter to what you just said nick but I've had so many people come up to the Las Vegas Open and be like, Petey Pop, I heard about Sean Naden on your podcast, and I just played him round three, and he kicked my butt. But it was an absolute blast, and I learned so much. That is that is by far one of the f- most popular reactions that I've had yeah. at Delvio w- across years. And those people aren't going into the game tilted at all. They're actually really happy that they had the opportunity to play a player like Nick Navari, Brandon Grant, Sean Naden uh, at a well, 4 That's definitely setting your expectations. Like, definitely. Right, there was the guy I played round one, right? He had heard of me. I had no idea who he was, and we introduced ourselves, <laughs> and we played a great game. And the guy, he, in his brain, had decided he had no shot at winning. He's just going to go and play me and have a great time with it. And I was coaching throughout the game, and it was a great game. It was a great sport, and... I think he got everything he wanted out of that game, but he's not the kind of player who I'm going to run into around four. He's not going to make it that far. If you're the, <laughs> I'm saying when you're when you're going to get to round four at LVO and you find yourself paired up against Brandon Grant or Sean Aiden or myself, whatever, you know, believe in yourself at that point. And it's not you can still learn all those things and you can still have a great time and you can walk out of that butt whooping that you're probably going to get still head, head held high and learn something. This was great. This was an awesome experience. But if you want to really try to win that game, you have to believe you're going to win that game. That's a fair point. Uh, for the record, I I believed I was going to win all the games I mentioned. Yeah, and, and there's a lot. Of, <laughs> so there's a certain amount of pressure as well, right? When you're um, <clears throat> when you're you know when you're in that kind of position, and even for for uh, us specifically, um, like I know myself when when I lost round one at Adepticon last year to Old Mally, um, we're coming up on that one year anniversary, by the way. Uh, Never forget. <laughs> uh, I, I know the first thing I thought was so many people are going to give me shit for losing round one. I I cannot let this affect my ability to play 40k or, or my ability, you know, because I can't. Actually, you didn't want to let it affect your ability to play X-Wing. 
Yeah, well, that, eh, maybe. I actually quit that tournament to play Shadespire, which had an absolute oh, sorry, blast. sorry, my bad. My bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to play Shadespire with the person who created Shadespire, Mr. David from GW. And I think that was a real treat. My point is is that uh, people like Nick, myself, Val, um, I feel, Sean, I feel like there's a lot of added pressure uh, when you're playing and you've got a little bit of the spotlight on you. Um, you know, I can't just quit 40K uh, for three or four weeks. I've got to come back to this podcast talk uh, i gotta go to work i have to sell the models for heaven's sake um so well, i don't know my... after after atc man I, I i took it i took a break that's like true I, you did i didn't i like i didn't say screw this i'm never doing this again but i i needed time to so, to, to chill out for sure so, so my point um ultimately about saying all this is that i knew that i would get tilted if i continued playing in the tournament and did even worse um, or even if I did better and imagine if I'd gone like five and one and just barely missed the cut because I lost that game one. Uh, so to prevent myself from tilting further, um, I decided that I wasn't going to use custodes for the rest of the year. It's like, you know what? Those three models, they just let me down. Uh, and I decided to make a real, you know, real joke out of it and a real story out of it. Um, and now it's, you know, a story that I like telling people love listening to. Um, and I'm cool with it. I'm okay with it. And I'm, I when I came out of the experience untilted, and unfazed with without a real shot to my 40k mojo, um, which I guess is my point there. Um, so, moving on to 40k burnout, right? And so th- this is I'm glad Val brought it up. Uh, 40k burnout is, is simply put, you're burned out on 40k in one way or another. Uh, this is a competitive 40k podcast, so we're not going to talk about hobby burnout or modeling and painting burnout. Um, we're talking about just playing the game. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'm currently 0-8 and eight in my last 8 games uh, across 2 months, pretty much since after the LVO. I've been playing a ton of games. I'm trying to get as many reps in in the league with practice with friends. Uh, and it all started when uh, coming off a 6-game winning streak um, when I played Brandon Grant and I got absolutely smashed twice in a row by him. I, I, should, I shouldn't say smashed. One game was really close uh, and I was kind of proud of myself. But the other game, the first game I got completely smashed in. Um... And I'm, I'm kind of feeling a little bit of the burnout. Like, uh, I'm supposed to play ga- two games this week, and I'm not looking forward to either one of them. Um, I thought about canceling one of them. I didn't. going to play it through. Uh, but how do you guys deal with 40k burnout and, and not playing, not wanting to play games? Just wait for the Arc Codex to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Three years later. <laughs> I was actually in a very similar spot to you, Pablo, about two weeks ago. I was playing... So much 40k in the lead up to LVO. I'm talking like three, four, five games a week for six weeks straight kind of thing. Plus I'm doing it on top of my normal job, Mm -hmm. um, which is 40k, of course. So LVO ended, and unfortunately the world didn't stop spinning. So I had to continue on doing 40k like 40 hours a week, or at least something 40k related for my job. Plus I do weekly streams and all that, and then my friends want to play, and oh, it's such a thing. So... I just personally was getting burned out. I had similar situation. I had two games to play, and I was like dreading the idea of playing them. Like, was the, trying to cancel, but like I couldn't bring myself to do it, and like just not looking forward to it. So, what I did personally was just like take a vacation. Went to L.A. Sat on a beach for like a week. It was too cold. I, I like walked around, but um, did L.A. for like a week. Came back. 
sat on my couch for two days and like watched movies and like bummed out. And then I got back into it and I feel great. Now that's a little extreme. Like you don't need to go to LA to get a vacation for 40k unless it's your job like it is for me. But the idea is the same. Like if you're burned out on anything, I think just giving yourself a break is really, really important. Like there's too much of a good thing applies to everything in life. So I think too much 40k can be solved by just not touching 40k for like a week. Yep. Mm. So that that is weird because that's never actually worked for me, um, and I'm sure, and that's actually really good advice. Uh, but I did just come back from a, a nice weekend in Arizona for a wedding, um, for my my favorite cousin's wedding. You guys might be aware of it. Uh, the entire time I couldn't stop talking about 40k to my wife. She got absolutely sick of me. Um, so I, it's it's really hard for me to take those kind of vacations. Maybe I should have just gone with Nick to LA instead of going to the wedding. Um, we would have not talked about. Actually, you probably would have made me. I would have killed you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I, I would say too. Like um, for me, I get sometimes burned out on competitive 40k. Like, and I, I mean, no matter what game I play, I'm still trying to play the game and, and win the game. But one thing that even recently I did, like for example at this RTT, is I didn't bring the like hardest orc list I could bring in a Highlander mono faction format. I brought my favorite model. And my, I set my expectations to absolutely nothing and uh, had a blast. So changing, you know, your, your paradigm can be just like, man, play with your favorite toys and enjoy yourself. Um, you know, maybe find uh, one of your pals. Like, I know you, you got some garage buddies. Find a pal who, you know, isn't playing at the most intense thing where, like, he even knows if he's won his last eight games. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I think that's that's a way to change it too. You know, just change your modality, play the game from a different angle, and also that'll help stimulate your brain too. You'll see it from a different place. Definitely, yeah. I actually took that same advice and applied it uh, sometime last year. I was playing like Eldar for like a year straight, pretty much between LVO, then Adepticon, and then ETC, and then Nova, and then I was like burned out, not on 40k, but on playing Eldar. So I was like, I'm gonna mess around with some Ultramarines, and I invented Ultra Shame. It's a patent pending on that one. And uh, <laughs> I had a blast. Took it to BFS, went 4-1-1, one, one, which isn't great, but I got fourth place. It wasn't bad. And uh, I just it really stretched my creative muscles and the list building concept. And it, it was just fun and challenging in a new way. So sometimes you just need something new. Yeah. I would say, like, look at it and, like, figure out what it is you're burned out about. Like, is it is it 40K you're burned out about? Because sometimes you'll hit that. Uh, and I hit that, like, partway through 7th, where I just, I couldn't play 40k anymore. I was so sick of 7th edition. Uh, And so I jumped over to another game for a little while. But sometimes it's the army you're playing, or the faction you're playing, or the fact that you're playing competitive 40k, like uh, Val mentioned. Uh, And figure it is, figure out what it is that you're not enjoying anymore, and change that. Um, Because, like, you know, like Nick said, like, too much of a good thing absolutely will just spoil it for you. And if you keep forcing yourself onto that ground stone, you're not going to enjoy it anymore. Hmm. So, <clears throat> so what do you, so, okay. So what do you guys do if you're losing eight games, if you lost eight games in a row and you don't want to leave 40 K and you want to win a game before you take your vacation and all that. Do you, do you, uh, do you just play to win? Cause that's, that's kind of the, the kind of vicious cycle I fall into. Uh, and I, I see this better with quick games like League of Legends, 
Like if if I go on like a five or four hour binge of just straight ranked games in League of Legends, which I know I know I'm I'm isolating part of the audience. I'm sorry if you've never played League of Legends. I'll explain it. I promise. Um, well, I'll play like eight or nine games in a row and lose games, and I'll refuse to get off until I win a game. But when I win a game, I get really happy. I'm like, okay, I want finally won a game. I can finally go to sleep, rest and relax. I'm happy. I'm good. The problem with 40k is you can't do that. It, it, you you just mm. you can't you can't play eight nine ten games in a single day. That that's just not going to happen, right? Even if you're Nick Nadavati. Um, I think that sounds to me like you put a lot of emphasis on the winning and not the process. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah, so like the the process is like if you look at any any athlete or any high performing professional or any of that, um, you know, if if you ask them, you know, what what it what it is that they know really are invested in it's it's how they get to the win and you know not putting it's just the same thing as not putting everything on one dice roll um or on the outcome of you know that that fourth game or just being over invested in anything just sets you up to be disappointed so i think you know going back to the mechanics of how to win for you maybe would be the best thing perhaps uh signing up for knights pro yeah, um, where you can <laughs> Already be done. Uh, surrounded by no, but seriously, surrounded by people who are invested in the act of getting better at 40k, accepting that hey, I'm a guy who's lost eight games in a row. That's cool. How do I win one? Val, and, you've given and that's me, the new challenge. You've given me such good advice over the years, but I feel like you've really touched me deeply just now. I'm, well, I'm being nice. genu- I'm being genuinely serious and joking oh. at the same time. Well, uh, but no, that, that's <laughs> really the sentence is that. That's being <laughs> genuinely serious, but joking. I, I'm joking. I, that's I, uh, Pablo Fenarianism. He's, <laughs> he's known for it. But uh, I'll let you finish. Come on. Joking aside, joking aside. Um, that was really good advice. Uh, I, I that's actually something I hadn't really thought about. Um, and I guess I've kind of been already been doing it. Um, in list building, which is the third part of this, uh, I've been trying to build a lot of different lists, and that's kind of. The process, that's kind of what I've thrown myself into. And so I, every game I've lost, it, it sucked, but I've been trying to run different things, trying to figure out, you know, what list is, what units are, are vibing with me, kind of uh, what factions am I going to run. Right now, I'm really hyped on my Castellan because it's beautifully painted, and I really want to make it work, and I, I want to win stuff with it before the Castellan gets nerfed, when it inevitably does over. get nerfed. Yeah, exactly. Um, which does add extra pressure to to my games, and why I've been playing more games. I have um, good news for you, Pablo. I'm pretty <laughs> sure the Castellan works. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're having trouble with that one, uh, it might not be the. Yeah, it might not be the Castellan. It might might <laughs> no. be me. I understand. I, <laughs> one thing I wanted to to throw out before we get real deep into like talking about lists and things is something that. Uh, Colin uh, from Best in Faction has said before that I think is actually really important to remember. The outcome of any one game is trivial. You're going to play hundreds or thousands of games over the course of your of your 40k career, and it doesn't really matter whether you win or lose any particular game. But it's what you learn from those games and what you take away from them, and like Val was saying, the process of it that really does matter. So if you lose eight games in a row and you learn something important from any, every one of them, I would call that a win. Mm. Yeah. And I, I do, I do every game. I, I do take extra care to, you know, tell my opponent, like you did this really well. I definitely lost because of this. Um, yeah, I do. I go through that process after every single game. And um, I definitely try to talk about everything, but the dice rolls. Uh, so I think there's definitely some merit there. 
Um, I think I'm just kind of stuck in the list building phase right now. Nick, what what percentage of this game do you think is list building phase at this point? I hate that question oh, no. <laughs> so much. I will answer it, but I hate that question so much. Okay, I, okay I'll, I'll tip my hand. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't even think it's fifty percent. Once, okay. no, one, no, once, once, once you have good, once you have, once you have a good like base, like you know the good good units and stuff, I don't even think it's fifty percent. I think you. I think there are two different games within the game. There's your list creation game, and then there's the actually how you use the models on the table game. Mm-hmm. You can play Nick Nadavadi, Brandon Grant, Sean Naden with the worst list in the world, and you're not going to win. You'll probably do mediocre, but you will still not win. Vice versa, you can be a raccoon with Brandon Grant's LVO list or something like that, and you will also not win. So to call it 50-50 or 70-30 or 30-70, whatever have you, there it's two halves to one puzzle. Mm-hmm. And the list you take allows you to compete within a certain bracket of other lists. If I bring a list that just cannot beat a Castellan, I could be me playing against a, me. A, a, whoever, and I'm not going to beat him if he has a Castellan. So the list I take enables me to play games against a variety of other lists, and then it's up to me after that point, once I put myself in that spot to contend with the list, for me to contend. To give an analogy, if you're a race car driver, now I don't know anything about race cars, but I imagine if I show up with my Honda Accord from 2011 to NASCAR, it doesn't matter if I'm the pro driver's private pro driver that ever proed. I'm not beating the NASCAR track race car things Agreed. vice versa if i have then if, if it's nick nanavati driving the the pro nascar nascar versus that dude in some i don't know moderately okay car um, <laughs> he'll probably still want my butt so i'm gonna i'm gonna actually steal <laughs> yeah. your do you analogy. guys get what i'm saying here no, yeah, i do it, i understand I'm, okay you're, you're but i'm gonna steal your analogy because I, I think i think i was trying to lead the witness and it didn't work so i want to i'm gonna try and lead it back again Okay. I think a professional driver in uh, in in my you know old Ford Fiesta uh, versus me in a NASCAR uh, would win because I wouldn't be able to put the NASCAR in gear. Like there, there's no way I'd be able to pilot that thing. I wouldn't be able to get it around a corner. I wouldn't know how to use it. He'd just spin around. I think Brandon Grant with a weak list is probably going to beat me, even if I have a strong list. Yeah. So I think I, I think like people get hung up on the list building phase, whereas there's oh. I think. Um, so much more to it on like you can play a good list badly and you might have played all eight of those games with good lists just not playing them well so i think like on the table is where you know things really get separated so, so i think you see that you said you saw that in the final matchup of of the lvo this year like i think on paper everyone thought brandon grant's gonna get hosed i don't know that's what was so everyone around I, me said I, yeah i actually think brandon grant he played a great game he played it fine whatever i think Agree, Brandon Grant should have gotten hosed. And it wasn't so much that Brandon Grant did anything so spectacular. I mean, he played a great game, but his army was not one that lends itself to spectacular plays. It's just a very solid, I'm going to do what I'm going to do with list kind of thing. Alex Harrison, that like tournament, threw the game away, in my opinion, mm-hmm. when he lost all his scatter bikes. He just sort of hid those until later on. I could talk about that game for hours. But <laughs> um, that's not a testament. I'm not trying to track from Brandon's skill. Who am I to say that? But. That's not a testament to Brandon outplaying his opponent. That's just a testament to Brandon not screwing up and not making a mistake playing his game. Yeah. 
decently. And the other guy so had a yeah. had a stronger list and lost. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. that, so that's yeah. the point. But it, I I think it is worth remembering that like, you, the list you bring and the skills you bring to the table are both important. We tend yes. to focus a lot on lists because it's the easy thing to see. Uh, there was no BCP yeah. app for people's brains. Um, yeah. but. Lists are not irrelevant. We get lots of people saying, like, oh, it doesn't matter what list you bring. Oh, it does. If you bring a bad list, you'll lose. Um, but I a good that, player yeah. can make a bad list do more that's, than a bad that's player That's really can. kind of the, the point I'm making. So let's yeah. say Brandon's list was disfavored against Alex Harrison's list. They're both great lists. No one's debating that. But one is better than the other in that particular matchup. Harrison's is better than Grant's. So Brandon still outplayed Harrison. Brandon won that game. Mm-hmm. So clearly player skill in that instance overcame the list disparity. If Brandon was playing, I don't know, 25 Primaris Marines and like <laughs> two Repulsors, sure. do I, could he sure. produce the same results? No, his player skill will not, and again, yeah. nothing against Brandon, his player skill will not cover up the list disparity going on right there. So I think, like I was saying, or what I was trying to articulate, you bring a list, puts you in contention, then it's on you to get it done. Yes. yes. Yeah. If Brandon brought repulsors and Primaris Marines, he's not bringing a list to put him in the con- in contention. Well, mm-hmm. so, okay. So so let's go ahead and shift gears a little bit, get back on track, because uh, I feel like not just a lot of my listeners, but a lot of 40k players in general, especially ones that are tiptoeing into the tournament scene, are playing a balancing act of sorts and, and kind of kind of a having a hard time building a list that you know fits them and fits their style that also meets the criteria for being a tier one competitive list or at least be able to beat the tier one competitive list and that's i think where list writers block really hits people because it's, it's actually it's tough right so so you, you say you need this you need this solid list to do well and you also need the fundamentals right and, and we all i think even you nick have to have to improve on that or have room to improve on that no matter what no matter who you are and if, if you think you're absolutely perfect and you have no room to improve then please go out to the lvo and win every single year right just, <laughs> yeah, just do it no matter who you are no matter where you want to escape you're never done learning so so yeah. i think where the balancing act is and where a lot of our listeners are um is they're they're trying to find their honda accord 2011 honda accord that they know it's not going to take them to the promised land when the daytona 500 but they, maybe they've they've run into like a special shop mechanic who who can really soup up that car, and, and maybe they want to like race. Can can we you know, lean a little dumb. bit away from the okay, metaphor fine, because enough, I think enough. we're getting pretty fair deep enough. in you're the right, weeds you're right, you're right. here. The point, the point is, and if maybe, if that shop mechanic has a wrench which can magically huh, grant well, wishes, the point and, is, and he's not, a big mech. The point yeah, is, okay. Is that, <laughs> is that in forty k? Uh, the the perception is, especially in Alliance Edition, is that most factions can compete with the top lists, and I think yeah. that that's true, it, mm-hmm. as long as the player skill matches the uh, the expectations and the ability to play. So when you're trying to fine tune a list and you're trying to get your list, you you know, no matter what kind of player you are, it, it can be really hard and really difficult, especially if you're trying to find a list that works for you that is outside of the mold, right? So you, you don't want to find a Brandon Grant list. You don't want to run an Ari. You don't want to run the typical net list. You, you want to be a special snowflake. And that, that's where most yeah. people are, 100%. Well, okay. No, that so, is 100%. Okay, but, uh, you, the number one question I get asked uh, via email is, how do I make this list work? I want to stick to my Imperial Fists. I want to stick to my Black Templars. But I want to be competitive. I want to do well. I want to go 4-2. and two. I want to go 5-0. Stop. And <laughs> like, <laughs> don't, don't, you can't. 
But like, you, yeah. But you, so, you so here's can. the thing, Pablo. You can go five and uh, one at the LVO with Necrons, with your Necron list that you designed yourself. Want to know why? Someone did it. Someone that, did proof, it. Proof. Proof. Now, not everyone can do it, and I'm not saying that it's easy, and I'm not saying that you should do it, and I'm not saying that if you you want to win the LVO, that's the route to go. That isn't by far, but when you want to get to that five and one, four and two record with that list, list writing to you is more important. Because, you know, you want to focus on this list. You want to focus on your baby. And that's yeah. where list writer's block comes into play. That's that's kind of where I think some people might be with list writer's block. So go ahead. I, I'll get off the soapbox. I mean, Nick's probably the... I mean, Nick probably talks people into better versions of bad lists or out of bad lists entirely. But I think the advice to a lot of players... Like, Reese says this all the time. Like, believe in your ideas. I think I honestly don't know how much I believe that. Maybe Nick's going to jump on me again here, but no, no. Like I, I think I think for like an average player, like just take a net list and learn how it works. You know, I, like I, I always ask my my clients when they come to me with like I want to play mono crimson fist. How do I do the best I can? I I always ask them what is your goal. I guess before yeah. they tell me that, like, is your goal to do the best you can, or is your goal to play crimson fist and do the best you can? Is your goal to win LVO? Like, what? what is your actual goal? And they'll come to me with this convoluted nonsense of, I want to win a GT with Mono Blood Angels. And I'm like, okay, those are two different goals. Do you want to win a GT, period? Or do you want to win, or do you want to play Blood Angels to the best of your ability, period? And then maybe those two goals will cross a line and you can accomplish both at the same time. But you got to focus on one. And then they'll either answer that question with, I want to win a GT. I'm like, okay. Get off the Blood Angels, here you go. Or they're like, I want to play Blood Angels, do the best I can. And then I, I polish their turd, no offense, Blood Angel players, and do the best I can with that. But what, yeah. What's the most common one, Nick? Um, I think most people come to me with that question. I want to do the best I can with X Army. Or sorry, I want to win this GT with X Army. And I'm like, those are two different goals. And I explain that whole goal. You're making two. You got to pick one. And then I think most players that come to me personally for pro coaching and all that kind of stuff typically will err on. I understand. That's a fair point. I don't want to play mono gray knights. I just want to win. And then I'll help them out that way. Right. But, you know, every person's different. They got their preferences. I'm willing to work with anyone. It's just uh, we first need to identify what you need to do or what you want to do. Then you work towards that. So, so the point here is, is that, and we're going to get back to topic here. The point here is, is that they're reaching out to you because they have some some form of list writer's block. If they found the list that worked for them, they wouldn't reach out to you at all. They they would be happy and content with their list. Right. But yeah. that's why you you know, that's why I offer to help people out with their lists and that's why you offer your list building services. So the point of all of this is how how what steps do you guys take to avoid list writer's block when you guys want to build your own list? So so like what what's your process? Um, if you, if you're stumped, like, where do you go? What do you talk to? And then go ahead and you guys can round table discussion this. Um, for me personally, uh, I have like immense knowledge, I guess, on pretty much every army in 40 K. So I will, I'll see concepts that I like and I will try to build lists around them. So very recently to give an example, um, well, not very recently. I had, uh, in the back of my brain, I've had a Nurgle-possessed bomb floating around, juggling around my brain for forever. So let me just break down, like, what I mean by that. You take 20 Nurgle-possessed, um, from Death Guard. 
they have access to cloud of flies, that means they can't get shot. Unless it's the closest thing. So just don't make them the closest thing, can't get shot. They're Nurgle demons, which means they can synergize with the Nurgle tree. So they can advance and charge if they're near a tree. They can fall back and charge if they're near a tree. All that kind of stuff. They, if you take a Nurgle demon detachment somewhere else, they will get plus one damage on sixes to wound. And then you have three different ways to give them plus one to wound. You have Veterans of Long War, you have Blades of Putrefaction, and you have Vural and Blessing. Two different spells and one strat to give them double damage, plus three to wound. So basically, if you combo all this out, you have a unit of 20 guys running and charging, um, wounding literally wounding knights on twos, because you're plus three to wound. Um, you do like one damage on a four, and then three or four damage, depending on how they rule, on a four, five, or six to wound. So And you're AP minus two. You're absolutely going to truck everything in the game. So I have had this list idea rattling around in my brain for most of a year now, and I've never really sat there and finished it. And I would, like, come up with the concept, and it would leave my thoughts, and I would come up with the concept, and it would leave my thoughts, and I never really finished the list. Until this weekend, this past weekend, and I went to a GT, or a, it was like a 16-person, five-round RTT, but um, they called it a GT. <laughs> I, I asked my Knights Pro clients, like, what should I run? And I gave them a poll, and somehow Nurgle possessed one. So I was forced to finish off this Nurgleist. And it's not so much that I was forced to finish it as what got me to finish it. It's like whenever I, I started to build this list throughout the year, I would realize that things just didn't, weren't coming together. Getting a tr spending a whole detachment on a tree, spending one detachment on Death Guard stuff, spending one detachment on Demon stuff meant I had no detachment for psychic powers. I had no warp time in this army. This is a huge problem. I have no Thousand Suns. What am I doing? So <laughs> I would always reach the same problem and give up. So this forced me to not. But I guess the solution I found would be always to hit the wall and then try it again at a different time. Like, give yourself some time off, think about other stuff, and then come back. Because when you give yourself a new perspective, come at a problem in a different way, uh, you know, you just solve it. It's like when you're playing a video game and you can't get past the one part, and then you, like, put the thing down, you go grab some drinks with your friends, come back three days later, try it again, and then all of a sudden you just beat it. It's exactly like that. So, um, I think that's that's awesome from, like, a, a ground zero list cre creation perspective. Like, someone with the immense knowledge... The Nick Nanavati, the the Reese. For for me, I, I like to speak usually on the show more like the everyman. I know I'm not Sean. Like Sean's got detailed knowledge of everything, as well. Um, so for me, where I start is I I, I look out and I see what's working because I think no, the internet isn't always right about what's good, but there are really great players out there like Nick, like Sean, like a lot of others who do have things that work. And then from there, I try just on a conceptual level to understand what works about certain builds and lists. So like for me, a very specific example would be coming into LVO. Uh, again, I just don't have a tremendous amount of reps with, with the new orc lists. And I know there are some key concepts that are, are popular. Um, the two I like the best were Nick Nanavati's and actually Steve Pamperine's. And I like Steve Pamperine's shock attack gun, his use of death skulls. I like Nick's um, use of larger grot units because I thought that would be um, more advantageous in the way um, you can deploy them on the table and move them around. Um, and I put the two concepts together. So I snowflaked on two very good lists and I picked something that may have been weaker, but it was something I felt comfortable with and it was an informed decision and I played it as well as I could. 
And that's sort of how I approach lists. I look for the, the, the wisdom in the crowd. I look to see what, what, what good players are doing. There's tremendous resources. This is what I was trying to get at earlier. It's just that like the, the, like the 99% list is, is known in a lot of cases. And then really a lot of the work that's done is in the margins. And I think the hard work is done in understanding and actually playing with that list. So you can outsource the, the hard part of stewing on a list for two years or a year and a half like Nick was just talking about and coming up with a beautiful concept by actually just net listing and getting yourself to 80% even if you screw around with it and you make some less optimal choices. But at least you're not showing up to the track in the Ford Fiesta. You, you're, you're there in a NASCAR like everybody else. And yeah, that's, that's the way I approach it. And I, I just accept that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to know better than the best players. The best players are going to put a lot more time into figuring this stuff out than I possibly ever could. And I'll have my own opinions and I'll let them sneak into the list. And often, you know, like sometimes I regret that. Sometimes I don't. I loved my LVO list in the end. And I called it the Nana Pamp. <laughs> I did like the name. <laughs> I really did. The Nana Pamp. I think that was my favorite part about that list. <laughs> Thank you. Sean, you write a ton of lists. Do you ever experience the list writer's block? Did we lose Sean? Sean's no, I'm here. Oh, there he is. Um, sort of. I mean, I certainly run into times when I get lists that don't do what I want, but I think the the answer there is just keep on working at it, keep on playing the lists and figuring out what's wrong with them, and just keep on coming back to it. Um, sometimes you'll go down blind alleys and and get into things that just don't end up working out, but I'm happy to discard an idea that doesn't work. Um, I don't get attached to things like that. So I've certainly had four or five different, like pretty major concepts that I worked on stuff in the eighth edition that ended up just being not very good. And I set those models aside and I started playing something else instead. Yeah. The hardest, the hardest thing is because I, I like to latch on to, specific units that no one's ever seen before or that maybe aren't widely used uh and and struggle to make them work and and, and you know be be a special little snowflake there's different wins with different lists that's, that's what i try to do but I, I usually like to add them into net lists and things so like the perfect example would be like cyclopses going into like a castellan list right just cyclops cyclopses are bad by the way don't try to make them work i've already tried trust me the point is is that uh that's that's where I experience the bulk of my my uh, writer's block is I I try to make these different unit combinations work internally in a good net list uh, and then I just get discouraged because the net list isn't humming the way I want it to right because it's got all these weird extra parts that don't need that it doesn't need so um, I think I think Val I think you're onto something I think I'm just gonna bite the bullet use Brandon Grant's list until I find things in Brandon Grant's list that I don't like and that I want to switch up for my own personal use. Well, and Nick really hit it off the bat with his thing is, yeah. what is your goal? Yep. What is your yep. actual goal? That's the question you have to answer for yourself because if you come into it like, oh, I'm going to discover this new secret list that is going to be completely different than everything the internet plays, but it's still going to be the best, you're going to be disappointed every single time. Yeah. That's like I'm going to you are not Sean, no one else is Sean Naden. Right, um, right. The the number of people that can crack open the meta with a truly unique list like that is vanishingly small. Yeah. Um, I will also say, from the perspective of like that top player, 
like the me, the Brandon Grant, the Sean Naden, we also have those special snowflake moments. We're not just like, you know, we're humans too. We always want to find, we want to win the lottery also. We want to find this thing no one else has ever thought of and go win an LVO with it. The pile of lists in my hypothetical trash can would <laughs> literally overflow my house. Oh, yeah. Like, I have probably 20 lists in Battlescribe right now, and I would say 17 of them are trash. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's not counting the ones like I delete, I trim down to under 20 on a pretty regular basis. I probably cycle through nearly a thousand lists in a year. Yeah, um, I, I can't speak too. for Sean or Brandon, but I'm pretty sure they're in the same boat that I'm in, mm-hmm. where it's like, you guys only see what we bring to tournaments for the most part. Yep. Yeah. With me, you see a bit more because I stream a lot. But mostly, you see things that I'm willing to show the world. Mm-hmm. You don't get to see all the failed artistry I've tried. Yeah. So so to all the Val Heffelfingers out there, instead of writing a thousand lists, just copy one. <laughs> yeah i mean if and if that's what you want um but it, it really is like nick said like you need to figure out what you actually want if yeah. you really want to play your your faction then by all means do it and optimize that all the way to kingdom come and do whatever you can there but, but like understand what it is the, the choices you're making and the consequences they'll have because if yes. you want to play mono gk and go to tournaments with it you can, and you can build the best mono GK list you know how, but you're obviously taking a significant limitation there. But I'm just I'm just gonna just cut cut to something else that Nick said. Most people, when when they reveal their heart of hearts, they just want to do as the the best that they can. They want to actually win. Pablo actually wants to win. Um, I want one to, game. <laughs> one game. You know, like most of it is. It, it's not like it, it's you know we we play this game to win. So like don't handicap yourself when you don't need to. I think when you listen to people who grumble the most about this game, it's people who are trying to put a square peg in a round hole. They're yep. trying to take units that are just not as efficient. Like this is the thing. Like there's lots of good like just good things in this game right now. They are they are, you know, false positives. They're rabbit holes. They're things that seem like they could work. And if only I just do this one thing, you're adding conditions that you know a good player like nick avoids um you're adding all these things if this one thing goes well well you're just setting yourself up for disappointment and i'm so look netlisting is not the the only solution to that but that's i think it comes down to just like what you said what's your goal and i think for most people it's to go out and be as competitive as they can and i know that's like that's all i want to do i want to go out and like have a shot i want to be able to maybe go three and oh and be able to go and play that fourth game mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that's awesome for me. And I think I'm cool with that. And I couldn't do that if I was bringing my Stompa, a Gargantuan Squiggith and a Kill Tank, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, and trying to make that work. I, I would just get my ass handed to me and I'd have a miserable time. And that, but what if you brought three Stompas? <laughs> You're onto something. Ooh, ooh. Uh, and, and that's good life advice, right? Like you don't buy the lottery ticket and then immediately take a mortgage out on house. Like, you know, you, you don't expect to win the lottery. And that's probably true. And that is the reality of the situation is that the lists that do well are the ones that people are going to most often use, the net lists. Um, that's just because those are proven to work. That's a fact. Can't all be Sean Naden and Lichter Shame, guys. Because, uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is, too, is you can be, but, like, Realistically speaking, like you see this in, I use golf as an analogy all the time. You see people get super pissed playing golf all the time. Well, what? Golf is hard. 
It is really, really difficult, very, very specific skill set. To be good at it, you need to spend literally hundreds of hours of repetitions and you need to play all the time. And I think, honestly, when you look at the top players, that's what they're doing in 40K Mm -hmm. and they're not making millions of dollars to do it. Um, Certainly a living for for guys like Nick, but like it's it's like it it takes a tremendous amount of investment to get to that, you know, top tier level. And I think you got to have respect for the game that you're trying to play and you got to take away the you know if you're if you're not able or you don't have the ability then you got to look at how can you handicap it so that you can at least go out there and do the best that you personally can and meet your own personal goal all right uh, i think that's a good i think that's a good place to end there did any of you all have any final comments i'm good no okay. not so sounds good it. i've already talked too much <laughs> All right, guys. Well, if you found this enlightening, if you have any more questions, always email me, frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com. Also, a couple people have been asking me about what lists I've been running and losing with uh, lately. Uh, So that would be where you would email me, frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com. To answer your question, though, it's with knights. I'm trying to make knights work. uh, And this three-knight crusader and gilman list just kind of, like, slapped me in the face. Like, ah. Pablo, that's what you have to do to win. Like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Now, now that I know, um, I'm not going to run that list. I'm just joking. Don't run that list unless you're playing in Birmingham on that specific day, guys. That is, that is overall genuinely not the net list, by the way. Um, <clears throat> uh, in conclusion, if you're a patron, we you get to you get to get your questions answered, and that's what we're going to do right now. Starting with Mr. Nick Smith. Uh, when you lose multiple games, how do you prevent yourself from feeling discouraged? I feel like we are actually already answered that. So, yeah, it. I think a lot of it is mentality. You need to be able to get into your head that like losing one game doesn't mean you should also lose the next game. Uh, there's no reason to do it yourself, and it's it's not always easy to do. It's something I certainly have struggled with and still do. But uh, if if you go on tilt after losing one game, then you need to reexamine where your head is at. Even after you lose multiple in a row, and that sucks. Yeah. Um, I actually did the worst I ever did at a tournament recently. I started off 0-2. Hmm. Um, I was playing some weird stuff. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> but um, I will say it's not about – I didn't get discouraged at all. I was bummed, but that's different from like on tilt discouraged. Um, and I still looked at it from the perspective of learning. It's like, okay, my list is crap. I know that. But like – what, what is working here? Like, why am I losing? What am I learning from all these things? And I always look at every game as a learning opportunity, even the ones I win. And uh, if you keep keep at it and being real objective, like, don't blame the dice. Don't even blame your list at a certain point. Blame you as a player. Like, what can you do better in the game? Like, how could you deploy differently, move differently, use tactics, whatever? Um, then you'll actually start to see improvement. And then you actually might win a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, patron Brandon... Um, has a very good question. Uh, he has a buddy who tilts easily after the first round, um, and he blames it. He blames his dice. He blames his army. He blames other players bringing overpower stuff. Um, you know all that stuff. Sounds like a, a real tough time, you know, to be this guy. Um, ultimately, Brandon thinks that his friend's lack of knowledge, his the codex and armies he uses, and general tactics are the reason why he loses so many games. Um, how does Brandon? Um, what are some tangible things that Brandon can do to help his friend to help his friend um, get over his tilt? Sign up for Knights Pro. Yeah. Sign your friend up for Knights Pro. Be a good pal. 
Buy him, buy him a Knights Pro subscription, Brandon. You heard here first. I think realistically, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Uh, if your friend doesn't want to learn that lesson, he won't. Um, and that can be hard. I've definitely known players like that um, who are more interested in complaining about how the game didn't go their way than they are about improving. Um, but it's it's not a super easy lesson to learn. You know, human beings don't like to accept that they're wrong and that the problems are their fault. No. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I think Sean hit it on the head right there. Uh, so, so I'm in a little personal with this because I'm dealing with this right now. Uh, my wife is a wonderful, wonderful woman. So I married her. She is a terrible loser. Absolutely the worst. Super competitive. Mm. She's playing Magic the Gathering right now. Um, she's actually gotten a lot yeah. better. But she, originally, she would get into the same mentality. She didn't want to go to tournaments. She didn't want to do well. She hated losing. Uh, and I've just been encouraging her positively. And, and after every game or every tournament or every event, Friday Night Magic or whatever, I've been like you know talking to her saying, Hey, going over the positive things she did, uh, you know, letting her vent, um, but overall just being there for her uh, and just kind of getting her out of that funk. Now, I don't, obviously, I'm not suggesting that you marry your friend um, or that you spend this much time with them, but there is something to be said about being there for someone and being generally positive uh, in the face of negative adversity. Um, So that might be something that you might consider, Blake, maybe take your friend out to dinner afterwards for a tournament. Um, you know, get them to really vent and then get them to really talk about the positive they, things they did. Uh, and then one day if they go to an event or they go to an RTT or a league night and they win, you know, really hype it up. You know, just say like, you did a really good job when you moved your Necrons over here and blew up their Warlord or whatever, right? Um, so that's probably something tangible that I think you could probably do. Uh, Nikhil Sin has a really great question. Uh, how do you know the difference between the list not being good or you not piloting the list correctly? Assuming it's a list you made yourself and not a proven net list. That's a really great question. Oh, yeah. Um, this is something I deal with all the time for my experimental ideas. And really, you play a game, and so you lose. And you're trying your experimental list out. Um, you have to look at it objectively, and an emphasis on objectively here. Um, did you lose because your list didn't have options and there just were things it could not handle? Um, that's something I've felt when I've dabbled in Necrons, and that really discourages me from exploring Necrons further, personally. Um, or did you lose because you messed up? Like, maybe if you just put this unit in a different spot and played a more passive style or a more aggressive style or moved this way instead of that way, use this strategy combo on this unit, buff differently here, whatever. Like, was it decisions you made in-game that caused you to lose, or was it that your list didn't have capability to deal with it? So, like I said, I just played a game with Necrons versus Gene Stealer Cult. I felt powerless in that game with my Necrons. Like, there mm. was just no combination of moves I could theoretically come up with to make that game even remotely close to playable. Whereas, like, if I lose a game with my Ultra Shame list, um, where it's just janky marine characters doing weird janky stuff... Um, that's pretty much entirely on me as a player as to why I lost that game. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I mean, this is kind of an issue um, of, like, if you don't, if you aren't skilled enough, you may not be able to assess how skilled you are. Um, so, like, it can be really hard to tell the difference in some cases. Um, 
but like Nick was saying, like you can kind of tell from the feels. Like, do you feel like you made a mistake, or did you feel like there were no choices you had? And that's not going to be an absolute answer, but it's at least a starting place where you can look at like, well, what could I have done differently? And if you look at it for like a week and go back over that game and say, well, I don't know what I could have done, and none of your friends do either, they don't have any like, well, you should just use this stratagem, then it may be a problem with the list and not a problem with your play. Yeah, one one thing I want to key off with something Nick said that was an aha moment for me too is just the idea of playing conservatively. I think that yeah. doesn't necessarily occur to a lot of people. Like that you don't, you know, the game isn't about just killing the other guy, you know, so um trying to consider it in a different mode of play or approaching it differently, I think is a is a really good insight. Mm-hmm. I had a client uh message me today. He, he messaged me the other day and he was like, Nick, I'm playing New Tyranids and I just can't beat this three-night list with this Loyal 32 thing, you know, that kind of stuff. And he sent me some pictures of his deployment style because he's one of my coaching clients. And uh, he would get hopped on the phone call, reviewed his game. He was telling me what he did. And he was like, yeah, so turn one, I, I charged into him and I like fought twice with the Gene Stealers after like launching them with Sworn Lord. Um, and... I killed like 30 guardsmen and then a gallant walked over and killed all my gene stealers. And I really felt like there was nothing I could do. And I was like, well, why'd you charge him? He was like, well, what else was I going to do? I was like, just sit there. And I was like, what do you mean just sit there? I was like, you don't have to do anything. Like your mission isn't to kill the other guy and then just be the last guy with models standing on the table. Your win condition is by accruing more points than your opponent. How do you accrue more points to the opponent by playing the mission, holding the objectives, getting your secondaries, that kind of stuff? And I gave him like point by point breakdowns of how he could have done done nothing for the first turn, waited for his ally gene stealer cults to come in, and then played a different style game entirely. And he was like, "Oh yeah, that totally would have worked." So absolutely, the options might not have been move left instead of right. The option might just be an entirely different way to approach the game. Mm-hmm. And actually, I do want to say that in general holding back turn one and being less aggressive is is one of the things that i see a lot of really good players do is um it's obviously not the case every single time but in a lot of cases i find i find myself thinking like why aren't they doing this turn one and then turn three and four i see finally why um and that's just kind of just like an in general if you want to get good just learn it being a little impatient when you play the game a little more patient um, the so, obvious the obvious option is always to go for the kill. You have to learn to consider what other options you could have. Yeah, even just as simple of thought of like, how do I not lose this game in the first turn? Mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> and that and honestly, like um, I, that that's a that's a big insight for for me personally because you know i'm always for a long time i was just way too aggressive i was always trying to win in the first turn well there's six turns in an itc game so uh so uh nikhil wants to know how does one identify their natural play style uh for example matt root is a self-described aggressive player while nick Narvati admits to being more reactive uh, and then how do you pair yourself with your list archetype or faction once you identify that um, for me, I didn't like start playing 40k when I was a kid and be like, I'm a passive player and then just start playing passive lists and stuff. It was a lot of trial and error and just figuring it out naturally for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I realized I enjoyed, I guess in a way doing nothing, but I, I enjoyed walking up to the table with a, a mindset for the mission and having to play 
to the mission, which often been playing passively and patiently, as opposed to getting enjoyment from just killing the other guy blindly. Um, and that's definitely person by person. By no means there's a correct way to play 40k as far as which style you prefer. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that I can't just run up and charge someone when the time calls for me to run up and charge someone. Um, so, with respect to a style, you should pick your army, but identifying your style is going to just be how you approach the game, which you'll discover through turns of games played. Yeah, you've de you've definitely got to experiment with it, I think. Um, but I think one of the cues may be if you find yourself consistently going for a particular strategy, uh, or if you find something that you do, you tend just works out better for you when you do it. Um, that may be a very good indicator that like this is what your natural style is going to be. Yeah. <clears throat> Another uh, so so this is actually we had a chapter tactics episode on this uh, episode number twenty seven so it was quite a while ago almost eighty episodes ago it was an episode called psychographic player profiles and improving tournaments uh, the improving tournaments bit isn't as important but we basically we we talked about the the magic player profiles of Spike Timmy mm -hmm. and Johnny um, which translate to essentially a competitive player big pl big plays player and a combo player. Um, and we get into the like the nitty gritty of um, psychographic player profiles and how to identify yourself as one or the other, and then how that affects or how that kind of fits into your personality as a gamer. So it's a really good episode, chapter tactics number twenty one twenty seven. We got a, a an intelligent age of Sigmar slash magic player in there named Josh Keel, um, who also has a cool commission service. Uh, so I would check that out, chapter tactics number twenty seven, episode twenty seven. Um, I, I remember that episode. It was super awesome. Yeah, I read the I read the article after you guys talked about it too. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it, but uh, identifying what kind of person or what kind of player you are is a lot of times kind of uh, the enlightening thing that gets you into like competitive player forty k or or just gets you comfortable with who you are as a person. So you know, it's pretty cool. Good stuff. Um, <clears throat> moving on to Mr. Weber. Uh, this is a general question for all of the hosts. At uh, what point in list building do you decide to move on from an idea or concept? Um, is it a minimum number of test games, or, or when do you make that decision? Um, for me, I throw a lot of lists out before I've even built a model. Um, like Nick and I both said, like we you build a lot of lists if you're if you're doing that sort of thing. You're gonna throw a lot of lists out at the the list building step, um, and for me, I'll, usually it happens when I've finished it. I've got it to that two thousand or fifteen hundred whatever points, and I look at it and I say, "How would I feel if I saw this across from myself on the table?" Uh, and a lot of times, I look at it and I say, oh, I don't, "This is a bad list. You know, whoever designed this was not thinking very well." Um, but sometimes it will take test games. Um, I spent a bunch of time testing out Storm Surges and trying to get that list to work. Uh, and I went to several major tournaments, and they just didn't perform the way I want. They didn't have the numbers I needed. Um, and I eventually decided I don't think there's a way to make these work. Um, so there's going to be many different steps where you're going to have to be ready to discard a list. Uh, Nick? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I kind of spaced out there. That's fine. <laughs> so when when I when I'm looking at a specific concept, because I do this often um, when I make lists, is, is I'll throw in a little cool thing like a sanguinary guard bomb or a bullgrin, and and kind of fit it into a list that I've been running. 
um, I, I generally look for how the unit or the the concept feels when I'm playing it. Um, sometimes it takes multiple games, um, like my poor Cyclopses, for example. Uh, I just I finally just had to realize that they're not very good just through just through playing actually uh, um, playing Nick Navadi at no, the Nova Invitational, but then taking them through September kind of like dragged them along <laughs> more than I should have. Um, but for me, it's more of a feeling thing. Uh, I definitely try to build a list that they that that concept or that unit works well into, and then I just play as many games as I need to before I realize that I just I, I want it or I don't. Like for example, my Custodes, my uh, Shield Captains on bikes only took two games before I realized that I just didn't really like them, um, and then I brought them to Adepticon and then I dropped them completely. Uh, but I just didn't like I just didn't like the Adeptus Custodes the way they fit the way I'm a more of an aggressive player and and I felt like for the meta for the time you needed to be more counter reactive with the Custodes Shield bikes and I still think you need to um, but yeah it, it's I think it's just a fit thing more than anything and you just got to feel out your your concept or your unit that you want to try out. For me, um, like because again I'm I'm a lot of theory hammer especially coming into a tournament it's a lot of mental reps trying to judge whether or not my ideas are good um and one thing i've started doing um is well i'll just call it like the cute test like so i'll look at a <laughs> i'll look at a list and i'll see where am i being cute and trying to be smarter than everyone like my LVO list had instead of 10 um extra ludas for a long time it had 10 tank busters because i thought it'd be really cool to you know in matchups against vehicles i'd have tank busters i could do the reroll to hit and on blah 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 and then in matchups where i don't have them then they can go up forward and i can do the grenade strat it'd be super cool and then i was like that is so cute and it's just never going to work just take the 10 ludas and you'll be happier and that's that's what i did so that's basically what i look for i look for where am i talking myself into what seems like a cool idea and just bring it back down to what's what's the best idea i can see available all right, final final question. Uh, and this this is a long one. We've got a lot of questions that we're skipping. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <clears throat> uh, Nick, will you come to Kyle's birthday party? Of course. Who's Kyle? He is a patron. <laughs> His name is oh. Kyle T. Kyle, email Nick. Make it happen. It's okay. the The flight to the birthday party is covered by Patreon costs, so it's, it's part of the Patreon Don't. deal. Where am I going? <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, speaking of flights being covered by Patreon, let's go ahead and conclude this episode. I'd like to make an announcement. Uh, this year, we'll, we'll be flying, uh, we collectively as a community will be flying Mr. Sean out to Hawaii for a tournament in Hawaii. Um, more more uh, announcements of that to come, uh, but basically we've got a major, another major sponsor, another major tournament sponsor. Uh, they are going to be a sponsor of the podcast. And as part of that sponsorship, uh, we are going to fly Mr. Sean out to Hawaii with me, myself. Um, I'm I'm going to be going separately, so we're just paying for Sean. Um, but that's also one of the goal, the community goals that I've really liked. Uh, we haven't hit the 200 patrons yet, though. If you would like to subscribe and help us hit that goal, you can. Um, but I figured we made enough money. You know, we're going to be making enough money, hopefully in April. Uh, to send Sean out. So we're going to buy him a plane ticket so he can go out to the Hawaii and have a good time, play. We'll have a nice bat rep. We'll we'll probably try to record, set up a recording there at the event, uh, and it'll be a mm-hmm. great time. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. No. This is my job, and I don't get paid to go to Hawaii for it. Sean, what am I doing wrong? Um, You're winning too much. you got to lose more like I do. Oh, I'll work on it. <laughs> yeah. Or you or you got to be the only person who, who can actually make it. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the the me not, like, having anything important to do with my actual job certainly helps there. <laughs> As does a West Coast, you know, address. Yeah. I think that makes it a little bit easier. So... Uh, if you would like to be a part of that and ha- like to help us hit our bonus goal, uh, which is if we hit 200 patrons, then we're going to every three months fly out one of the co-hosts to a tournament of your guys' choosing. Uh, and then they'll go out to that event. They'll have a great time. They'll battle report it, talk about it on the podcast. Uh, they'll get to meet you lovely subscribers. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. It's kind of something I've always wanted to do. It's been my major goal uh, ever since I started the Patreon and started Chapter Tactics was to generate enough revenue to fly people out to events. Um, It can't be every single month. It can't be every single weekend. I wish, unless we get like a thousand patrons. You know, if we get a thousand patrons, I'll fly someone out every month. Uh, You know, I'll be happy. It'd be great. But the point is, is that I want to get people uh, on a podcast out to smaller events that aren't just Nova, Adepticon, LVO, uh, and, you know, get, get the, get those events popping. Speaking of popping the Facebook group on Patreon, sign up for that. It's popping. It's awesome. Also go to frontlinegaming.org, buy all your good stuff. Secondhand shop, check out in control on Twitch and check out in the finest hour and 40 K stats.com. Also, Mr. Nick Notavati, where, where can they hear from you again? You can find me on knightsofthegametable.com. Uh, most of my stuff is through Knights of the Game Table Pro. So definitely go ahead and check that out if you're interested in improving your game competitively. All right. Val, Sean, any plugs? Uh, no, I think you already hit mine. Check us out on the Battle Host. We just recorded a, oh, yeah. a two, two-parter, bud. Although I'm not sure when exactly that's coming out. They said it'd probably be like another week or two past this. So we'll, we'll put up a post once it actually does hit there. Uh, but yeah, they did a, a nice little two-part on Tau with us. Right on. And then finally, one last kind of shout-out. Uh, I want to shout-out to Tony, the Best in Faction podcast, getting into the tournament report game. Uh, it's so great. Uh, I don't have yeah. Peter, and I don't have to be the only one to do it. Um, so check out the Best in Faction podcast. And check out Tony and his, his uh, tournament reports. Uh, it's always great to have more tournament reporting going on. Um, it's exactly what I want out of this hobby. Uh, finally, thanks and all for thanks you all for the love and support. And as always, have a good one.